Welcome to the Lead to Win podcast, the podcast where we explore strategies, mindsets, and stories behind successful leadership and personal development. I'm your host, Bo Bergen. Let's do it. Excited for our conversation today as we welcome Coach Jim Johnson to the show. Coach Johnson has developed winning high school basketball teams for 30 years, taking over three losing varsity programs and turning them into winners in short periods of time. He's been named Coach of the Year in the Rochester area multiple times, as well as leading his teams to multiple section championships and county championships. The inspirational story that he was involved in, which we'll talk about shortly, has been featured on ESPN, CBS, and worldwide. Retiring at the end of the 2015-2016 season after winning over 400 games throughout his career, Coach Johnson transitioned to public speaking full-time, giving talks on motivation, inspiration, business, and leadership. He also has written a book entitled A Coach and a Miracle. Excited to welcome Coach Jim Johnson to the show today. Coach, welcome thanks, and thanks Paul. for coming on. My pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, start off and. uh Give my listeners a little background on you and kind of what inspired you to get into coaching. Yeah, so actually my model uh, was my father. My father was uh, a teacher and a coach and actually was my high school basketball coach. So I had the honor, although I do kid uh, him that uh, I have five younger siblings and three of my brothers and my dad left uh, coaching basketball after I I played for him. So maybe I wore him out. He had got into administration. Uh, so uh but uh, he was really my inspiration. And, you know, I guess like a lot of young kids, when I got into basketball, I thought I was going to be a pro, but uh, realized <laughs> it wasn't going to be in the plans. Uh, so this was a way that I could stay, uh, you know, working with young people and, uh, you know, using the avenue of teaching. And, and I coached a lot of sports, but basketball was my number one love. So I uh, I was a head coach for 30 years. and. Uh, and learned a lot about leadership through through coaching basketball. Yeah, that's a long time. Um, I'm sure you've seen a wide variety of people and players come through your program. And uh, you know, what's thinking it, thinking along the lines of just your principles as a coach? Um, you know, what's some things that have remained constant over those 30 years uh, in terms of your interactions with your players and things you try to teach them? Well, I got to say early on uh, that I didn't have a lot of clarity as a leader. In fact, I, I lost my first varsity position. I, I was a head coach of four different schools, but the first one, uh, I did such a great job. It led them to 17 consecutive losses. And uh, it was in an interim position. And they did not renew my contract or another way of saying you're fired. We're going to watch you back. Uh, but it was a great learning experience for me after I uh, licked my wounds is the fact that I realized that I had a lot to learn. And that's really when I started to study leadership, because if you're going to be a good coach, you have to understand how to build a, a team and team culture. And that led me into my own personal growth. And I started to read a lot. And one of the books that really opened my eyes many years ago is a very popular book still today called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. By Dr. Stephen Covey. In fact, I was blessed to be able to speak to the Franklin Covey organization. That was kind of a dream come true. Although Dr. Covey had passed away the year before, so I didn't get a chance to meet him, but I did meet some of his siblings and his family members. But anyways, one of the things Dr. Covey talked about was having your own personal mission statement. 
And at that point in my life, I was in my late 20s, and I had no idea what that meant or what that was, but it really opened my eyes in getting clarity um, that I had to know my why. Why was I put on this earth? And that's one of my leadership presentations that really encourage people, and I give them a few ideas on developing your own personal mission statement. I think that really comes down to understanding why were you put on this earth or if you're a person of faith like I am, why did God put you on this earth? And then secondly, along those is really getting clarity of what your core values are. What what are you going to live by on a consistent basis? Certainly no one's perfect, but I think when you have that shining light to look at each day when you get up, and I'll give you an example. For my personal mission statement, I developed it was to be a outstanding role model that makes a positive difference by helping others make their dreams come true. And some of my core values was that I wanted to be a servant leader. I wanted to continue to grow and I wanted to treat all people with respect. So those are some of my most important values. And I tried to implement that into a, a mission statement. And when I got clarity about that, the interesting thing is, Bo, I took over three other programs that all had been losing and we were able to turn around pretty quickly. And I think that's where it all started. I became a better leader of me and then I became a better leader of others. Yeah. So I didn't want to give it away in the intro, but uh you have you have quite a story to tell, and I'm sure you've told it uh, hundreds of times. But you know, I think it's one that one will bring back memories uh, to a lot of people that listen to my my podcast, um, and you know, it provides a little inspiration. Um, and but you know, walk me through the miracle night and your Jason McElwain story. Yeah, so the world knows him as J-Mac, and i just give you a quick context. J-Mac's on the autism spectrum, tried out for our team for three consecutive years, never made it, but served as our team manager. And not only did they do that, uh, Bo, but between his junior and senior year and his sophomore and junior year, when he tried out for the varsity after trying out for JVs as a sophomore, he came to all our off-season workouts. And I, he, I became very attached because he was so passionate about basketball like I was. Uh, so uh, his senior year, when he didn't make the team, I told him I wanted to give him a gift. And the gift was for all his loyalty and commitment to our program. I wanted to put him in uniform for our final home game where we honor the seniors before the game. We bring the parents and guardians out. And the night was February 15th, 2006. And uh, it was really touching to see him embrace his parents in, in uniform. His number 52 was way too big. He, he, he didn't care. His going around school that he slept in his uniform when he received it for a couple nights in a row. Uh, but then uh, I wanted to not only put him in uniform, but I was hoping to get him in the game. Well, with about four minutes to go left in the game, I got everybody in and I thought it was right. My thought thinking was I wanted to get Jason with enough time so he could score a basket. I thought if he could score a basket, it's a memory he'll cherish for the rest of his life. So when he walked on the floor for the first time, what an impact, because we had a good student body following that year. They called themselves the six men. And when he walked on for the first time, they all stood. And not only did they give him a standing ovation, they showed all these pictures of his face. They were like placards, these sticks with his picture on. And Jason and I did not know this. And what we had found out was one of our parents had done that behind our backs. Well, I'm usually a pretty macho guy during games. Well, I got so overwhelmed with emotion. I sat down and tears started rolling down my face. I was just so touched on how they greeted him. Well, he gets in the game. First time we received the ball, 
he has the ball. Uh, he gets a pass from a teammate in the right corner behind the three-point line. He lets it go. The crowd kind of stands in anticipation. It misses by like six feet. And I, I always kid people because I'm a person of faith, but you're not supposed to pray in the public schools. But I was praying, dear God, please don't get one basket. Next possession, he uh, shoots a much shorter shot from about 10 feet. And this time, at least hits the rim. So I'm like, all right, God started to listen. We're getting closer. And then the third one is another three-pointer, this time from the right wing. He lets it go. Magic. The place explodes. And I'm thinking, God must be a basketball fan. Not only has Jason scored, he's got a three-pointer. I can't get any better than this, right? Wrong. For the next three minutes, Jason's boyhood idol was the late, great Kobe Bryant. In fact, he used to sign his name, Jason J. Mac Kobe McElwain. That's how he used to sign his name. So I, before I finish the game, I got to fast forward. Six months after that, Jason's in the California for the ESPY Awards for the greatest sportsman of the year. And you won't believe this. One of the other finalists for the same was his idol, Kobe. Kobe had scored 81 points in an NBA game. So he beats his idol, then he beats him out for the ESPY. Well, how did he do that? Well, after that first basket, he comes down, he makes another three. Then he makes another shot where his foot's on the line. In fact, I got on the official, like, you could have given him a three for that. And then he missed a couple, and then he made a couple more. And then how the game ends is our, our opponent scores uh, Spencer Port. And I want to give kudos to their coach and their players. They were really good sports that night. But they score a basket with under 10 seconds to go. And our player that takes out of bounds, he normally throws it to our point guard. This time he throws it right to J-Max. So J-Max dribbling down the court. And he didn't dribble it that well, but he's moving down the court. And I'm thinking, they're just going to let him go. And he's going to go in and make a short shot, a layup. Oh, no. He pulls up like two feet behind the arc, almost an NBA three. I'm thinking, Jason, don't shoot for there. You're going to ruin this moment. He launches this rainbow swish. I look around and I think, oh my gosh, I'm living the movie Rudy. The whole place runs onto the floor, all our players, all the spectators. And I'll never forget our players put him up on their shoulders and he's got the game ball over his head. And our leading scorer for the, our public address announcer says, the leading scorer for the Trojans tonight, J-Mac with 20 points in about three minutes. Uh, so it was just uh, a crazy night that, uh, but a, a night that I cherish for the rest of my life without a doubt. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I didn't know he missed that game. What was his final stat, stat line? So he was actually, uh, I do actually remember all this. Uh, he was seven for 13 from the field. He was six for 10 from three. Uh, it's one basket. The funny thing is, you know, it could, uh, I wrote a book about it called The Coach and a Miracle because people say, uh, you know, uh, the funny part is, Bo, you know, because you don't see it in any of the videos, is one of the shots he missed, it was a long rebound, and one of his teammates grabbed it and actually turned and flipped it right to Jason. And that was the only time our opponent, Spencer Port, just kind of let him go. He dribbled in, he had a wide open layup, and he missed it. <laughs> so explain that. That's That's cool. Well, that that's obviously a really, you know, inspirational and feel good story. Um, but what, as a coach, what was your biggest takeaway from that night? Well, there were two that always jump out to me. I have a speech called dreams really do come true. And the thing that I, I like to share with people that I think is really important is that uh, you have to sow before you reap. 
And the thing people don't realize is all the unseen hours J-Mac put in with our team and how he would come to practice early and he'd practice his shooting, rebound for other guys. He'd stay after practice. He'd practice in his driveway. Because you never know. One of my keys in my dream speech is carpe diem, the ability to be ready to seize the day. So that that's one. Uh, and the other thing for me was, because uh, I do a lot of leadership talks, is the essence of teamwork. And the fact that Bo, probably one of the problems, because we had a lot of challenges that I share in my book are the fact that we had a lot of division for part, most of that year. And yet, I had never asked the four players who were on the floor with Jason to pass the ball to him, yet other than their own hearts. They passed the ball to him every time, which I, I think is the essence of team where you can shine the light on other people on your team. So do you and Jason have a relationship today? and Or what's he up to now? We do. Uh, so just give you a start uh, in context. Jason was 5'9", about 115 pounds in that game. He's now six foot two, 170. So he, he had quite a growth spurt after uh, high school. But Jason, uh, after his senior year that year, he graduated uh, and he would come in a little bit. But after two years, he came into my office one day, he says, Coach, I really miss the program. Can I come back and help? And so he was my volunteer assistant for my last nine years in coaching. And the funny thing, we won our first Section 5 championship. It was kind of a big deal in our state. Um, his senior year, we ended up winning it for the first time. And then when he came back and helped me, we won four, four more together. So I kid people for a, a small fee. I will give you a, he's my good luck charm. So uh, uh, so we ended up having an unbelievable relationship. We still uh, have a relationship uh, since I've retired. He still lives in the same town as me, and I see him, uh, you know, quite a bit. I just had lunch with him a couple of weeks ago, uh, but uh, I don't, obviously I don't see him because it's funny because I've done a lot of speaking for the last 17 years, and people would say, "Do you ever see him?" And I start laughing. They go, "Why are you laughing?" I said, "Because he's my volunteer assistant. I see him every single day, <laughs> and the days I don't see him, I get like 10 texts." <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so we have a really good relationship. Yeah, um, so. You know, you mentioned you won a championship that that year. Mm -hmm. um, do you think what effect do you think that that night had on the performance of your team after that? And, you know, to kind of talk about the aftermath of that night in the months and years, even on the community and the program. Well, certainly it was a big community event because we ended up getting, you know, not only national attention, global attention. I mean, it was just crazy. Uh, in fact, they just give your audience a context uh, that uh, we the next week after that season, we started our postseason terminal, which we call our sectional. But we were off from school. We have what we call a February break. But then when we came back to school, I actually had a sub come in and teach my classes eight consecutive school days because we had so much media attention wow. absolutely, uh, on all kinds of shows and, and trying to, you know, answer for movie producers. It, it was just crazy. Um, so the, um, so I think the thing from that was that it really united our team because we had had a lot of difficulty. In fact, we were divided for a lot of the year, but the, that really helped us go back. And the, the other thing that I learned, because I did a lot of analysis, because I had taken six teams before Jason's senior year to the semifinals. We never made, even made the finals. We kept losing heartbreaking. And when I realized one of my keys to leadership is to lead by example, and I think it was a pretty darn good example during the season and in the off season. 
But during the postseason, I would lose it because I wanted to win so bad. And what I really gained from that, Jason, that I think helped our team immensely is I realized I had to be the rock during that pressure situation. And I changed my whole mindset during the postseason. You know, for people listening, think about as a leader, I lead my example all the time, not just, you know, when it's convenient for you. And that's something that I really did much better. In fact, we got to the semifinals that year and we were ahead by 10 at halftime. We blow the entire lead in the third quarter and we were losing in the fourth quarter. And the old coach Johnson would have gone realistic and we probably lost that game. But this time I stayed strong. I was positive. Our kids responded. We won the game. Then in the finals, we are we playing a downtown arena usually for the finals and but basketball, you know, is what people like, but it's not like some states where, you know, it's a sellout for all these championship games. But because of the publicity, we walk in the arena and seats about 10,000 and it was sold out for the game. And uh, we start our first championship game. We're down 13 to three after four minutes. I'm like, oh, that pregame speech didn't work. Uh, but again, this time I stayed positive. Our kids stayed strong together. We ended up rallying. We ended up scoring the winning basket in the last 15 seconds and won our first championship. That's awesome. So switching gears a little bit. Um, yeah. According to your website, you regularly give a talk on motivation and inspiration. Mm -hmm. And in it, you talk about power and confidence. How can a leader, whether I'm a coach or, you know, a boss, how can a leader cultivate self-confidence to inspire their team? I think it starts with the leader's daily habits. I, I think you got to be someone that continually is what I call an idea searcher. You've got to be always looking for good ideas. And, you know, you can do that a lot of different ways. Reading, you know, listening to great podcasts like yours, uh, listening to audio programs, you know, getting involved with, uh, you know, going to seminars and clinics and learning from the best. Uh, you know, there's just so many things that I think consistently feeding your mind is going to help you become more confident because going back to one of my keys, a lead by example, um, you know, you got to share, show that you're confident, but you got to deserve to be confident. You know, you got to be willing to put the time in and learn and, and you know, how, how to be a better leader, how to build a better team. You know, in my case, because of basketball, I got to know basketball, you know, that. And so those are all things that I really took a lot of pride in. Uh, and then I think it's really important after that is getting to know, I think the best thing about coaching is building a relationship with the young people and, and getting to know them and finding out what makes them tick and how you can help them. Because you you got to treat everybody fairly, but you can't treat everybody the same. And there's some guys you can get on them and that's going to motivate them. Some guys, they don't handle that, uh, you know, criticism out loud. So you got to take them by the side. And I think the other thing's really important that I think for listeners to think about is as a leader, are you find, finding the time to meet with people one-on-one -on -one and getting to know your people, you know, and just asking questions like, how are you? How can I best support you? How can I coach you better? You know, and when you build those relationships, I think that builds confidence that, that the players believe in you because you believe in them. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of that inspiration piece, you know, obviously a huge part of leadership is being able to inspire. Um, if I'm a leader, what are some practical things or ways um, that I can build buy-in from my team and inspire them to be their best? 
Well, first thing is I'll give you two things about buy-in, and then I think I'll share one other thing. So two things about buy-in. Number one is that you got to get clarity about your program mission. So uh, when I took over programs, we tried to clarify what was our mission, you know, because, you know, the three programs I took over were they were losing, we were forcing to turn around. You know, they said, well, what I, what I always ask them, what should we be all about? And they said, coach, we want to win. <laughs> we want to lose them for a long time. I said, yes, but we, it's got to be bigger than that. Because I've done a lot of studying on, you know, uh, programs that are successful. And yes, they win, but it's more than that. And so what we developed, our program mission was to develop winners on and off the court. And that's where the leader has to be, what I call the CRO, the chief reminding officer. You have to continue to live the mission and remind your players, what does it take to be a winner on the court? Yes, winning on the scoreboard is part of it, but how about being a great teammate? How about being, being someone that can handle adversity? How about off the court? Are you the best student you can be? Are you a person that contributes to our community? So those are things we were trying to teach. So I think that's one is that you got to have clarity of the mission and the core values. What, what are the things that you're going to live by? And again, as the leader. And then the last thing inspiring people is what I call the leader. He's got to be the CST, the chief storyteller. And I think the best leaders really are always searching for good stories, both good examples and bad examples. You know, quick illustration. Like I would often bring up Steph Curry towards, you know, my end of my career because he's, you know, one of the greatest players still in the NBA today. Yet he's one that people can relate to because he's not real big. He's not overly fast. He's not, you know, tearing the rim down. Yet he's so highly skilled. What can we learn from Steph Curry that you can implement? Because the kids could relate to him, you know, because a lot of them were even bigger than Steph Curry, you know, yet he's one of, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, so I think as a, a coach, as a leader, you, you know, you got to find stories that the players can relate to. And also you got to give them that, like, I, I'm not going to pick on anybody, but I would also share about an NBA player, you know, and, and not to pick anybody, but I'll just say, uh, you know, how come this guy is a really good player, but his team never wins? And they'd say, well, probably because he's selfish. He doesn't pass the ball. I go, yeah, that's a good thing. Is that what you want to be known for as a guy that scores 20 points, but your team never has any uh, wins on the scoreboard? And so, you know, I think that's what you really need to do to inspire your team is give them really good examples and also some bad examples on what you're trying to illustrate through stories. Because, you know, people remember stories. Yeah. Yeah. I've never thought of it from that angle. I, You think back and, you know, even the coaches that I've had in the past, they were always good storytellers. Yeah. Know? And I never really thought about that until I look back on it and I'm like, hmm, I still remember some of the things they said. And uh, yeah. so that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, so positive attitude is something, uh, you know, if I, if I want to grow as a leader or a player or a coach, I have to have a positive attitude or, or I'm going to get, I'm going to put a ceiling on myself. Um, you know, it's often step one of growing and more importantly, growing as a person. <laughs> what, in, what impact would you say having a positive attitude? Um, what impact does that have on both individual performance and team dynamics? 
Well, I think it's where you all start because I, I think to be successful in life, you have to be exceptional in things you can control. And there's not a lot of things you can control, but attitude is one of them. In fact, I used to give my players a quote every week, uh, or every day, excuse me, and, and we used to have a theme of the week. And one of the first themes was attitude. And I would always start the first day by saying, attitudes are contagious. Is yours worth catching? So in what I would teach my players and something I really try to do myself is two areas that you really got to be cognizant. What are you consistently feeding your mind with? If you're feeding your mind with negative things, then you're going to tend to be more negative. If you feed your mind with more positive and things that, are, uh, that you can be optimistic about, you're going to be seem to be more positive. So you got to be really careful to guard what you let into your mind. And number two is, who do you surround yourself with? You know, the late, great Jim Rohn used to always say, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I think that is so true. And so are you hanging around people that are going to help you soar like an eagle? Or are you going to be uh, sinking like a, a a ship that has holes in it? And I think those are things that you got to really think about is, you know, what are you consistently feeding your mind with? And who are the people you associate with? And, and both of those, are they helping you or hindering you in what your attitude is going to be all about? Yeah. And piggybacking off of that, if I'm, if I know I'm probably not hanging around the right people or the most positive people, um, but I can't really help it. Maybe I work with them. Maybe um, I'm around them every day, like it or not. Um, how, how do I as a leader or employee or team member put, kind of put on my blinders to that negativity and keep that positive mindset? Well, I think that the one thing you do have control is, is at least what you feed your mind with. Okay. So that part, you know, and you're right. Sometimes you're going to have a colleague that you don't get along with, um, you know, with, with the things you can control, like as a coach, you know, I had a lot of uh, ability to bring in the people I wanted my staff. So I think that is really important, but certainly, you know, as a, well, as a physical education teacher, if, and I didn't hire my colleagues. So uh, sometimes I would be around someone that I didn't seem to care for. And, and I, I always think is that, you know, if your mindset is, is I'm going to do the best I can and think of yourself as a servant leader, I'm going to give first and, and really try to get to know even the people that you don't get to get along with and, and, and really understand more about them. Now, that may not change the circumstances, but and I think the other thing is, is the times that you are outside of work or outside of, you know, like you might have a family member, uh, you know, an uncle that you don't get along with. Well, you know, there's times you're going to have to deal with them. And I think if you come on with the famous uh, seek first to understand before being understood, I think that's a great approach in getting to know people better. Uh, but then really be aware of the things that, of the areas you can control is who are the people you're associating? And again, going back, are they helping or hindering you? That's good advice. So switching gears again, um, you have something in your talks or, you know, I, I found it on your website, um, 10 questions all leaders should be able to answer. And I, it caught my, caught my attention. And I want to know a little bit more about those 10 questions and why are they important? Yeah, a lot of things, why I do that presentation is because I think, uh, you know, the, we said this, but is that, you know, the first person you got to lead is yourself. And so these questions are really geared on leading yourself first. And so I'll give you a few examples. One we've already mentioned, but do you have a personal mission statement? 
Uh, if not, then, you know, that's something we should take some time to really get clarity of that. Uh, along, uh, this one's also we said, but what are your top three or four core values? And once you understand them, are you consistently living them? And then there's, uh, I'll give you th three others that just are, are things that I think you need to do in life. The first one is, do you have a personal growth plan? I, in, I believe the best leaders are people that continue to grow. You know, the Carol Dweck book, The Growth Mindset, you know, and they're always curious, you know, asking a lot of questions. They're, they're really trying to figure out. Uh, so, like, I, I'm cognizant that I, I want to feed my mind at least 80 minutes every day. Now, how do I do that? Well, one of my habits is one first thing I do in the morning is I read for 10 minutes. So I try to average read, you know, almost a book a week because I read a lot. Number two, I'm a big podcast. Uh, I have my own podcast called the Limitless Leadership Lounge to help young and emerging leaders. And I listen to a ton of other podcasts. I also, uh, I, I turn my car into a library on wheels. I'm either listening to a podcast or an audio program from, uh, you know, one of the personal growth gurus. Um, and then, again, going around and surrounding yourself, I'm involved with a couple of mastermind groups. I, you know, do online and in-person, you know, conferences or seminars, uh, you know, really trying to learn from the best. Um, so I think that that would be something to be intentional. Are you growing every day? And if you're not, you know, the old adage, but there's a lot of truth that is that accumulates and consistently accumulates. So if you're trying to strive to get 1% better each day, boy, if you do that, even if you miss a couple of days, that's a lot of growth. Next question would be, do you have a personal wellness plan? I think it's very hard to be a good leader if you don't have energy. And it's hard to have energy if you don't take care of yourself. So the one thing I will say, I just wrote a, a read a book called Outlive by Peter Atia because you know I'm I'm going to be 65 this year and I want to keep being vibrant as I always am. So I want to really figure out the, what things and people know the basic fundamentals, but you know I'm trying to figure out. But one of the things that I think people neglect, uh, and it's one we all know, are you consistently exercising? And my advice to that is you need to block a time each day where you're going to exercise. And it could be as simple as starting with a walk in nature. Uh, it sounds like both of us on this recording, uh, weather's not too good. So maybe you got to walk on the treadmill, uh, you know, and then I also really encourage people to find something they enjoy that can help them. You know, for me personally, I picked up tennis about 15 years ago. I play a lot of tennis, great workout. Uh, it keeps my competitive spirit going. And then also, uh, you know, I do some things with my strength training and flexibility because they're so important. So I, I think those, you know, certainly the other ones we know, but, you know, you know, what are you eating? Is it helping or hindering? I'm not perfect, believe me, but I, I've been more cognizant of eating better food. And another one that people often neglect is sleep. You know, are you consistently getting seven, eight hours sleep? If not, it's something you really need to. And, and certainly we could talk, you know, meditation, those, you know, those other things. But I, I think it really being intentional about your wellness. And then the last one is that uh, having a financial independent plan. Uh, you know, and no matter where you are, like I, I was a teacher and, and fortunately in my early 30s, I woke up and said, you know what, I've got to learn how to, uh, you know, save money. And invest money. And because we did that, you know, um, my wife and I have pretty nice uh, savings because we were diligent and, you know, 
the law of, of accumulation, you know, and uh, it just comes building. So uh, I think that's another one because, you know, uh, I always laugh and say, you know, people say, oh, we don't need money. Well, it's, it's uh, as the late Zig Ziglar used to say uh, when they asked him about money, he said, well, I would rank it right up there with oxygen. <laughs> so it's uh, and so it. Uh, you know, it's not that you, it should be the, the driver of everything, but you do need money. And, you know, not only to live your life well, but now you can, the more abundance you have, the more you can contribute to others. And, and to me, that's what servant leadership is all about. So those will give you, you know, some questions that we talk about. Yeah. Um, so passion and purpose is something that is regularly talked about in the world of education, uh, coaching, business. What advice would you have for somebody that might be struggling to find their passion or maybe they were once passionate about something and they may have lost it? What advice can you have for that person? You know, I, it's a great question because passion is one of my keys in, in my dream speech. And I think finding your passion is really important. But I, I, I do think this is really important that you have to find a passion and also how you can serve others. And when you can combine that, uh, because you can have a passion and something, but you may not be able to make any money on it. So uh, I think be able to combine those two, like I found a passion for love of teaching and coaching, um, you know, and certainly I didn't make millions of dollars, but, you know, I made a salary and something I'd love to do. And the other thing I give it, people advice is try things and see if you like them. Now, I mean, I'm amazed that, you know, I've been fortunate to speak all over the country. And, uh, you know, when I first started speaking, I was scared to death. I was like, uh, and now I can't wait to do it. So, uh, you know, but it's like anything, it's a skill. And if you find that you enjoy it, then you really should make it a study and get as good as you can and get, surround yourself with mentors and coaches that can help you, uh, you know, because when you find something to love to do, if you become really good at it, most likely it can be something you can turn into a livelihood. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you mentioned a little bit on, on how you find it, but are there any practical exercises or steps that somebody can take to explore and uh, maybe even uncover their true passions in life? Yeah, a few things I advise people is I would make a list of 10 things you, you either know you like or or you think you might like. Um, so and then after that, you know, the famous adage, but there's a lot of truth that is, is getting out of your comfort zone. You got to give it a shot. Uh, you know, and one of the things I, I always talk to young people, like if they wanted to get in teaching and coaching, go shadow a teacher or a coach. And find out, you know, and try to spend, you know, a couple of days with them and, and, you know, see if it's something like, and if they see you're interested, they might even help give you a responsibility or two. Maybe you could help at a practice or have a part of a class or, you know, and it's the same thing for any industry. You know, if you, if you want to be a plumber, you know, seek out a plumber and, and say, hey, can I walk with your shoes for a day and, and, and see what it's all about, and, you know, and then try to learn as much as you can about it. And realize, because what you're going to find out when you try things and then really get an experience is, is that, oh, I really like this. Or, oh, I don't want to do this again. Right. Uh, or you might be in the middle. And that's where you've got to give it a little more time and say, you know, and, and see 
by doing it more and more? Is this something that you're really passionate about? But so I think putting that list together and getting clarity and then, you know, uh, going out because most people would won't like both. Somebody called you in your community and said, hey, I'd like to learn more about how to be an athletic director. Could I come and shadow you for a day? I would guess most of the time, unless you had something going on, you'd say, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, because I, to me, it's an honor when somebody reaches out and says, hey, I want to come and watch your practice. You know, uh, the fact that they think that highly that, that they can learn something from me. So I, I think that's the idea is that and then as you get more experience, really try to find ways that you give value to others. Uh, and I think that's a huge thing. So, you know, you talk about satisfaction, you know, going back to the financial piece. I mean you can get satisfaction from being financially stable, mm -hmm. you know, but, you know, pursuing somebody's passion, what impact does that have on my overall satisfaction in life or my, my well-being? just the pursuit of my passion? Well, I think the pursuit is, is that when you really enjoy, you see, passion to me is, is really having something you really love and enjoy. And, and when you have that passion, then you're willing to invest a lot of time and energy. And there's going to be certainly like, you know, I coached for 35 years and I, I loved it. Okay. Now, did I love every second of every day coaching? No, <laughs> there were challenges and things that, but, but the thing is, because it, I call it the burning desire of passion. When you have that burn in your belly that, you know what, I, I want to be the best that I can be because I love this. Uh, and, you know, when people find things they love to do, they'll tend to put more time energy and they will want to be someone that's a student of that and when you become a student where you keep growing and learning then you get really excited you know like i, I look at my career uh you know it took me i think like nine seasons before we actually hit 500 for my career record and then fortunately i ended up over 200 games over 500 but th that that really that passion that i want to keep doing it and, and really understanding the right reasons was I wanted to make a difference in these young people's lives. And, and certainly we, we did want to win, don't get me wrong, but there were so many life lessons I could teach them through the, the various challenges and how to work in a team. And that's really special. And that's why I was so passionate because I love trying to build a team and, you know, and build relationships. Um, but for each person, that's different. You know, there's some people that don't want to, lead a you know a basketball team but they may want to lead you know something else uh, but there are some real consistent things in leadership and uh you know other things that you can establish whether you're uh coaching a basketball team or leading a, you know a five billion dollar business there's still some real consistencies from the leadership perspective so where where can my listeners find some of your work and what what you're doing nowadays yeah, sure. So I'll, uh, uh, my website's probably the best thing. I'm, I am on uh, LinkedIn and Facebook, and uh, but uh, coachjimjohnson.com. And on that, we have a free newsletter you can sign up. We also have a free weekly blog that you can sign up. I have a YouTube channel where I share different messages, uh, Coach Jim Johnson as well. 
Uh, and then, you know, if, if there's something we can help you with, uh, if I can help you with one of my presentations, uh, you know, I have a, a lady that I work with, Kate, she's great, uh, you know, and if we can support anybody, uh, you know, that way with one, you know, whether it's my, my strengths is, you know, as you mentioned, motivation, inspiration, building team culture and, uh, you know, leadership principles. So, so if people need help in those areas, uh, I'm, I'm someone that uh, I, I believe I can help. So. Cool. Last question here. Uh, it's one that I ask almost all of my guests um, is I just I want to hear your thoughts on legacy and, you know, when it's all said and done, what do you want to be remembered by? What do you want people to think of when they when they think of Coach Johnson and what do you want your legacy to be? You know, since I've been retired now for some years, I, I have done more thinking about this. And, and the thing that always jumps out to me is I want to be known as someone that is a leadership developer, someone that, that helps people become better leaders on themselves and then the ability to lead others. And I, I think if I could leave that as the legacy um, to help people become better as a leader of themselves and then others, um, that would be a pretty cool legacy for me. I agree. I agree. Well, coach, really appreciate you coming on today. Um, lots of good insight. And, you know, anytime I can learn from somebody that's been in as long as you have, uh, I'm jumping at the bit to do that. And uh, I hope our my listeners today grab some things and can be better for it. And I look forward to following you and what you do uh, in the future. So thank you again. My pleasure, Paul. It was great to talk to you, and I hope someday we get a chance. As I said, I haven't been to Arkansas, so I hope we get down and meet you in person someday. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Lead to Win podcast. If you're listening this week, make sure to drop a rating on whatever app you're listening on. I'd love to hear from listeners and make this podcast even more relevant to you. Also, make sure to follow the Lead to Win podcast on social media. We're on Facebook, X, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Give us a follow and feel free to share the content. Again, thanks for listening this week. I'm your host, Bo Bergen. See you next Tuesday.